This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. This is Positive Parenting, and I'm Armin Brott. Let me introduce you to a word we're going to be throwing around an awful lot in this part of today's show. It's entitlement, which describes the state of mind in which children believe they should have anything they want, while also believing that they shouldn't have to make much of an effort to get it. Remarkably, we parents who are responsible for creating these children are typically unaware that our actions are the single cause of entitlement. And entitlement is an epidemic. And well-meaning parents across the country are enabling the me generation of children who just lack the wisdom and satisfaction of accomplishment that only struggle and adversity can bring. As a veteran advisor and legal counsel to some of America's most successful families, Richard Watts has seen the extremes of entitlement up close, and he's here in this part of today's show to help us avoid creating it in our own children. We're going to be talking about how to redirect kids and repair adults, that might be the most important part of it, who believe the world owes them something. Your greatest challenge here may be learning to control your own actions. The big lesson here is that we may need to let our children fail so that they can learn how to succeed on their own. We'll start talking about entitlement and how not to spoil your kids when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Peekaboo, peekaboo, smile. Smile, buddy. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. <sighs> yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby. I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism. And we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org signs or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Richard Watts, who's the author of Entitlemania, How Not to Spoil Your Kids and What to Do if You Have. Richard, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure, Armin. Thank you. Let's start with having you talk a little bit about what entitlement is and how it differs from the what people have been saying, you know, kids these days. People have been saying that for thousands of years. Yes, I, in, entitlement really is is talking about teaching your kids they have the right to have something. In other words, the entitlement that I'm looking at is kids that that grow up with a sense of believing that they have the right to things that perhaps they haven't earned and perhaps they haven't uh, worked for uh, and versus, you know, an empowerment situation, which is different, uh, where people are being taught, children are being taught, they have the ability to go get something. They have the opportunity to earn something, two different things. So, so entitlement deals with that 
issue of children and what in the world are we doing and what are we failing to do in order to give them a sense of self. Well, I'm curious about where this whole thing came from in your view, because it seems like if you talk to anybody over the age of about 40, it's a completely foreign concept. The, the primary uh, place this came for me is in my representation uh, as a family office counsel. I'm, I'm managing very uh, wealthy families. It's kind of a laboratory of sorts where, uh, where the, the parents are oftentimes 60, 70 years old now, uh, albeit they're, they're dealing with kids that are 30 and 40, and, uh, and they have a little bit more money than the average person. And I came to find out that, that the mistakes that they were making uh, utilizing money was just an accentuation of what all of us do. And, uh, and so it began to become very repetitive and very interesting to see that parents were making the same mistakes. And then when you look down into the world of the, of the rest of us in the middle-income area, uh, you begin to find that, that, that we're doing the same things. We're, we're trying to give our kids everything. We're focusing on them uh, and we're trying to take away the pain, everything we yeah. can do to take away the pain. Well, isn't taking away the pain kind of one of the, the high up on the list of definitions of what parenting is supposed to be about, though? I don't think so. I think that's something, Armin, that we started, that we got lost in in this last generation. Uh, I think that parents, if you look back a generation ago, kids were not the primary focus of, of parents. Uh, parents were primarily focused on their own lives, and kids had to fit in. And so you didn't have the mom and dad going to every soccer game. They didn't have the mom and dad that when a, when a child didn't get, uh, you know, didn't get a participation trophy, they were in the coach's face uh, to try to, to, uh, to, to benefit them. They said, hey, the, the life is full of tough, tough issues. And if you work hard, uh, you will, you know, you'll survive. And, and somewhere in the process, uh, my generation grew up believing that our parents didn't care about us quite as much because they didn't show up. And so we decided we were going to do this incredible focus on our children, and we're going to give them a lot of our attention. And in doing so, uh, we started to think that loving them was synonymous with not allowing them to learn from their mistakes. And so we started bridging the gap of getting them from A to C instead of letting them feel B in the process. No, that's interesting. I think it's true. I I had a certain sense that my parents didn't care too terribly much when they I don't think, and they have to straighten me out about this, but I don't think that they showed up for swim meets or baseball games or that kind of stuff when I was involved in after-school activities. They they did show up for concerts that I played in, but they like music better than they like sports, I guess. Um, well, I, I think you just said it. Uh, you just said it exactly. They showed up for music because they liked music. Uh, I'm glad to hear you were a swimmer. I was a swimmer, too. And water polo as well, and uh, and I can tell you that I swam in the uh, the AAU finals, and that was the only meet that I had in the entire time I was in high school that my parents showed up. And yet, I will tell you that my mom and dad loved me to death. I mean, they were <laughs> so proud of me. Uh, but it was kind of more about encouraging me as I made mistakes, and they were they seemed to be more interested in me overcoming adversity than they did about doing things I did naturally well. Now, do you think that kids are being overtly told by parents that you deserve something without having to work for it, or is this something that they just pick up? I I, I think that kids pick up what they see. They don't hear what they're told as much. So if you've got parents 
they're modeling uh, that that you know life is difficult and and uh, and they're delaying their own gratification. Uh, you know, I really would like to have that car. Uh, I, I probably maybe I could afford it now, or if I can, I could put it on time. Uh, I can I can spread those payments out over 50 months, and even if I lose my job, I'm in trouble. But I'll take that that gamble. When they see parents doing those sorts of things, I think there's a tacit uh, discussion going on between parents and kids, and uh, and and that's what I hear from most of my kids is that, uh, uh, and kids meaning the kids that of the families that I'm involved in for the last 35 years, is they really say, you know, mom and dad say this, but mom and dad do completely different. And so they watch those things. And so I, I don't know that it's overt that we're told that, that we're entitled to things, but it really is uh, parents aren't going out of their way to, you know, to allow that, uh, that, that it, it, adversity and, uh, and some of the pain to just leak in. Just, just watch it coming and say, now I'm going to go get a, a belt and I'm going to bite down on that leather <laughs> while I watch my kid go through this pain. And I'm going to just try to let him figure it out. So you talk about an aggravating factor to this whole thing is parents trying to be kids' friends instead of maintaining some sort of hierarchical or at least parallel structure. How does that fit in there? there I, there's a choice you have to make uh, that I think we've tried to, to saddle. We've tried to grab both sides of this and, and sit in between these, and that is being a parent and being a friend. Uh, we all would love to be the friends of our kids. Our kids can have a lot of friends, and and I use I hear the term all the time where parents are saying, you know, my 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 boy or my 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 daughter is my best friend. I think that's a real danger signal. That that uh, you really have to, in my mind, make the choice. It's very difficult. We have superior knowledge over our children. We have superior ability from experience. It's very difficult for us to to allow ourselves to be friends and do the difficult things that need to be done as parents. So I'm a fan of going to your kids and saying at all ages where they understand it, you can go get a best friend in a lot of different places. And I'm hopeful that you have a lot, a lot of friends. I choose to be your parent. And in the process of being your parent, I'm going to love you, but that love is always not always going to look like friendship. It's going to look like strife and difficulty. There's going to be some things you don't like, and if you're young enough, you're going to do what I say because you're 12. And if you're older, which I, when my kids turned 18 and 20, I, I very clearly sat down with them and said, now I'm in a position where what I say you don't have to do, but I'd like you to listen because I'm going to be your parent the rest of your life. I just don't expect you to follow my advice unless you want to because I really encourage them to be their own people. You know, I had a interesting exchange with my 13-year-old. We're talking about where she's going to be going to high school, and she's got certain ideas, and I have certain ideas. And she sends me this text a, a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, you don't respect my life choices, and, you know, you're not being a good father. And I just I'm thinking, how, first of all, where does a 13-year-old get off thinking that she has, has made life choices? I mean, it's a little a little young for that, it seems to me. Right. How, how do you respond to something like that? Well, when a, when a 13-year-old says that, I think you have, as the parent, a responsibility to, to really carefully recognize that every one of your children are different. Uh, some may come off with, with uh, attitude and, uh, and you know, I, I'm dropping out of school and I'm going to travel on a steamship to Europe. 
in which case maybe you need to exercise a little bit more discretion, maybe a little more pressure if you feel truly that child's just whimsical and, and, uh, and, and going to get themselves in a position of long-term peril. Um, but when you get to someone at that age, I remember that very vividly. All three of my boys were very different. And I sat down with them, and we had a discussion. And I said, look, it, are you willing ultimately, if I listen to you truthfully, are you ultimately willing to allow me as your parent to make that decision at 13 years old? You're not old enough to make that decision, but I want to hear you. And, and I have to tell you, uh, there have been circumstances, uh, particularly when they got to 18 and went to college, where I knew exactly where I wanted my kids to go to college. And, uh, and every one of them went to a different college than I wanted to, but it was part of me biting down on that leather belt. Talking with Richard Watts, who's the author of Entitled Mania, How Not to Spoil Your Kids and What to Do If You Have. We're going to be taking a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Richard. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was .5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times, when we were more active and ate more healthy foods, and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check. Change. Control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Richard Watts, who's the author of Entitled Mania, How Not to Spoil Your Kids and What to Do If You Have. Uh, so let's start getting into some of the specifics. You've got the book divided neatly up into sections about what to do and what not to do. So you talk about number one on the list of what to do has to do with delaying gratification. How do you work on that one? Well, de- delayed gratification, as I said earlier, is a lot about what you do and what you model. But uh, I, I can give you a good example uh, of this. Is this last Christmas, uh, my five-year-old granddaughter uh, got fixated on having her mother and father buy her one of these Hatchimals, which I'd never heard of before, but it's some sort of a 59-year-old retail gift uh, that no one had because they, there was an incredible viral run on them, and they were nowhere to be found. 
And I, I watched mom and dad uh, looking, showing up at 7 o'clock in the morning at all these department stores. I called a few because I thought maybe I could be the hero grandfather and, uh, and pick one up. Uh, but ultimately, Christmas came. And I remember sitting uh, in the living room and, and thinking, how in the world is a little one going to deal with the fact that she just, that's all she wanted. Every time she sat in a Santa, Santa's lap, that's what she said. Ultimately, she opened her presents, and I had her come over, and I sat next to her. And I said, sweetheart, did you get everything you wanted? And she said, well, no, actually I didn't. And I kind of swallowed, and I thought, here it comes. She said, I didn't get a Hatchimal. And I said, well, what do you think about that? She says, well, you know, my mom and dad told me that there's a lot of kids that need these things more than I do. And some kids really are deserving of those kind of things, and, and they don't have the presents that I get, and I got other presents. So I'm really okay. Maybe I'll get it later. But for right now, I know that Santa wanted someone else to have that gift instead of me. That's pretty sophisticated stuff for a 5-year-old. Yep. Or a 10-year-old, for that matter. Yeah. All right, so you, you hit on something there, the word grandfather. We'll just broaden that to grandparents. How do grandparents contribute to this whole problem? Because it seems like almost all grandparents would say that they love to spoil their grandkids. And they yes. end up giving this. So, so do you think that this idea, the, you know, the idea that grandma and grandpa are spoiling me and giving me whatever I want, whether I deserve it or not, uh, well, you, you can, aggravates things? You, you can take that in two different places. You can take that on a kind of a shallow level, which, which is okay. That's grandma and grandpa giving them candy. And when they come over, uh, you know, when they're a little bit older, buying them, uh, buying them things and taking them places or handing them $50, you know, without, without – uh, you know, without anybody knowing, just to give them more cash, that sort of thing. Those are those are relatively harmless. Uh, grandparents, which I believe are a blessing, I think grandparents are an incredible gift if they're intentional grandparents, uh, which I'll explain in a second. But when grandparenting gets to that place later on, where a grandparent is actually parenting their grandchildren, which means, uh, you know, we're going to go buy you a car, uh, I think that's really, really not good. Uh, when grandparents are going to uh, tell their grandkids, oh, by the way, grandma and grandpa have a house, and, uh, and we want you to know that uh, when, when grandma and grandpa go away, you're each going to get $100,000 from grandma and grandpa, and these are 18 and 20 and 22-year-old kids. Really not good, not, not advisable. Yeah. Uh, grandparents have to be very careful to recognize their place is subordinate to the parents, and so we as grandparents are always very, very careful about making sure that we abide by the rules of our kids. And we've got several, and grandkids from different different sons, so they're very different. And again, it takes a keen sense of recognition to realize that my primary job as a grandparent, Armin, is to give experiences to my grandkids, not things. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like there's also kind of the, the interplay between the grand, grandparents and then their own kids not the grandkids, the, the generation in between. Because I had a friend who every once in a while would tell her kids that, oh, you know, we're going to be inheriting a whole bunch of money. So it, it just became part of her her present-day financial planning to count on having an inheritance, which just made me, just creeped me out. I it just It seemed like the most horrible way to be running your life was to be counting on somebody dying later. And you know that one of the chapters of Entitle Mania is dedicated strictly. I know. I, I believe I saw that, that you do not share your estate plans with with uh, with your kids or your grandkids. Or 
even yourself in, in many ways. It just seems to be counting on something, a windfall from someplace else seems to be in a way almost playing out what you're talking about with entitled mania. It's just saying, I deserve this for no particular reason. Yes, and, like and the, that, again, look to the generation above. So if it's the children that are 15 and 20 years old saying that, then look to the parents at fault, in my opinion. If you've got the kids that, uh, you know, at, at 30 and 40 and 50 saying that, which many of them do, you have to look to the grandparents, the, the 60 and 70 and 80-year-olds that oftentimes, and I hear this, this is an area I spend a lot of time, where the grandparents are kind of manipulating uh, the kids and the grandkids with, uh, guess what you might get if you're good to us? You know, you have a chapter in here, too, which touches on something I remember came up very specifically in, in discussions with my oldest daughter, especially when she was looking at colleges, and she was aiming towards some pretty high-priced ones, and I had a conversation with her at one point about, it sounded a little bit like my, the one I just described with my 13-year-old, but it was, you know, I can't afford to send you there. I've got X amount of dollars saved up in a college fund, and that's what I've got. And she was saying, well, you know, I'm not going to let your financial issues interfere with my education, which I thought was a wonderful line. And then I, my counter to that was, well, I'm not going to live in my car so that you can, <laughs> you can have the education that you think you need. And you, you talk about that exactly, about, and, you know, got a whole chapter about don't sacrifice yourself to make life, life easier. So how do you draw the line between the natural wanting to give your kids things maybe that you never had uh, with just reality? I still believe that, uh, that that line is determined by your quality of life and that mom and dad are here first. And mom, be it single parent or married, have the right to live their lives and live their lives comfortably. And beyond that, I think you're sending a poor signal to a child at college age when you say to them, I'm willing to mortgage my house, I'm willing to sell my house and move into a tra I'll rent a trailer, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to send you to the, you know, any school you want to go to. Uh, there's, there's a lot of kids that I know uh, that have not had parents that could afford sending their kids to really great schools, and somehow, if they wanted it bad enough, they all got in. And if they didn't get in, there was something that was created in that, in that struggle. There's a number of my friends that you know, didn't get to go to the Ivy League schools, and it created a thirst. So can you imagine setting something in motion today by just saying, I can't afford it, and I really love you. I would love to afford it. I'd love to pay, but I can't, and, and dad needs to take care of himself or mom needs to take care of himself. Can you imagine that you're setting in motion a domino that is going to start ticking, and one's going to fall over to the next, to the next, to the next, and somewhere 20 years from now, again, that child is going to have whatever that education struggle was about, whether they got to the school and were able to pay for it or student loans. All of my kids have student loans and got through where they wanted to go, but it would be awfully rewarding, I would think, as a parent to look forward and say, you know, later on, perhaps, as scary as this thought is, even after I'm gone, they were able to make a decision or they climbed their way to a place based on the fact that they didn't just get it all given to them. Part of this was learning to grapple and to climb and look where they got. Yeah, I think the, the sense of satisfaction that you have at having worked really hard for something and achieved it 
or maybe even worked really hard and not achieved exactly what you were looking for, but just having uh, understood the value of work. But that's what that's what this whole thing is about, is that, that lack of understanding or lack of appreciation for the value of work. Yes. One of the greatest comments I ever saw was a, a very famous pastor in the East Coast that, that heard one of my lectures, and he said, uh, I read uh, your first book, and I read Entitlemania, and my kid called from college, and I just said, he said, Dad, could you PayPal me 25 bucks? I left the house, and it's midnight, and I've got a pizza, and I ordered it, and I can't pay for it. And the dad said, no. And the son said, are you kidding me? He said, yeah, you go figure it out. You left without, without the uh, money, and it's not my problem. And it's so silly. That's such a silly event. But the discussion that came from that and the child yeah. really came back to the Thanksgiving that followed and said, Dad, you know, well, that started a lot of things in motion for me by you saying no, that I really was careless. And then I realized the people around me were careless because they didn't have any money. And we had to work our way through that. And from then on, we just started eating back in the calf because we didn't want to spend <laughs> our money on pizzas at midnight. Richard Watts is the author of Entitled Mania, How Not to Spoil Your Kids and What to Do If You Have. Richard, thanks for joining us. Great to have you. Real pleasure, Armin. Thank you. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. It's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment, and this week we're going to talk about the talk. No, no, not that one. The other one. The one about money. Dear Mr. Dad, my parents never talk with me and my siblings about money, but I'm feeling the need to give my kids, ages 4 and 7, a better financial education than I got. When's the right time to start? What is it about money that no one wants to talk about it? Drugs, sex, and violence are perfectly acceptable dinnertime fare, but we're almost always embarrassed to discuss something that we use every single day of our life. How much we make and where that money goes after the government gets its share is nobody's business but our own, and perhaps our accountants. But that's a mistake. Today's kids feel more entitled than those of probably any previous generation. And too many of them don't learn simple lessons about finances, such as how much work it takes to earn a dollar, how much goes for taxes, how much goes for rent and food, how much their violin lessons and daycare cost, and how much they should be putting aside for retirement. The place to start is with income. And with kids as young as yours, it's probably going to be an allowance. But be sure you don't give them the impression that you're paying them for doing routine household chores, cleaning their rooms and setting the table for dinner, are things that they should do because everyone in the family has to contribute. For older kids, they should start earning their own money. Either way, once they start bringing in money on a regular basis, they need to know that there are only three things to do with it. Spend it, save it, or give it away. 
For young kids, one way to reinforce that idea is to set up three jars, which they can decorate and label charity, instant gratification, and savings. Have them take a small portion of their income and put it into the charity jar. Let the kids decide who or what should receive it. Equally divide what's left over between the two remaining jars. I recommend jars because the kids can actually see their money and how it grows over time. The instant gratification fund is exactly that, and your kids should be allowed to spend it any way they'd like. Fight off the urge to direct this spending or to give them advice. They're going to learn a lot more from an empty jar or a pocket or a broken toy than from your pearls of wisdom. The savings jar is for more expensive items. Most kids will figure out pretty quickly that they can move their instant gratification money to the savings jar. For slightly older kids, add a fourth jar called for college with the understanding that they won't see the contents until they're at least 18. For tweens and teens, you may want to throw in lessons about borrowing, interest, and taxes, but only if you feel confident discussing those more advanced topics. When those jars start getting close to overflowing, take them and your children to your bank. Most have free savings and checking accounts for kids of regular customers. They're betting that over time, those early relationships are going to grow to include retirement accounts, credit cards, and mortgages, and all sorts of other stuff. Teaching the basics of money management today with small numbers will prepare your children for the future when the numbers and the stakes will both be much bigger. Hey, you know, if you've got a comment or suggestion about this or any other topic we do here at Positive Parenting, please drop us a line through our website, MrDad.com. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.